Chris, what a weird day for us. Yeah, it is really strange to actually, well, I got my camera off, but it's strange to see you while we record. Well, it feels like you're just like watching me and it's uncomfortable. I am. I am. It is, it is very uncomfortable. <laughs> How's it uncomfortable for you? <laughs> it just feels weird. <laughs> uh, right before we started, when I was going through my Zencaster woes, I went to pull my mic over and knocked my water bottle over and it was uh, very like poetic of the last 20 minutes. <laughs> We're sparks shooting off and everything. It went the other way, so... Also, I got this sweet arm for my computer, so like, uh, it's lifted up in the air. So luckily, even if water did spill that way, it would just get the arm. One of these days we'll have like, you remember? Did you ever watch Grandma's Boy, where he's got that like a recliner with three monitors suspended above him and stuff? That'll be you someday. They sell that stuff. I've looked at it. Like I would never. I don't know. I won't say never. I would. I'm not inclined to use that. When your boss will buy it for you, then you might. <laughs> I guess I should say I wouldn't be reclined to use that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we just wrapped up episode 50. Uh, we are on 51. And today we are joined by Nate Hopkins. Hopkins, is that right? Yep, that's it. Uh, Nate, do you mind just kind of maybe giving a, a brief hello and then we'll uh, start kind of diving in? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm a long time uh, software developer, kind of a old uh, gray beard or at least part gray beard. Uh, been around uh, programming for quite a while. Found Ruby, from, like I, I started in .NET, or not really .NET, but Visual Basic early Microsoft days before .NET was a thing. And uh, did classic ASP, came up, uh, adopted .NET, Microsoft.NET uh, in the first beta, learned C Sharp, did that professionally for a while. And then transitioned away from Microsoft into other things because I wanted my career path to move more towards open source and Linux and those sorts of things. And so I, I had discovered JavaScript uh, way back in the day. This was before, before um, jQuery was a thing. And really, JavaScript was just viewed as a toy language, even though we were building some serious applications with it. And from there, I found Python very briefly. And from there, I went into Ruby, which was about 2006, seven, right around there. So I've been doing Ruby and Ruby on Rails for quite some time now. So you're like early days Ruby, uh, all things considered. Yeah, yeah. It was, I, I think it had already hit 1.0 one, one, one before I started uh, with Rails. But, but yeah, it was, it, those were still early days. So... There's one project that you have recently, I guess, released into the world that really caught both Chris and I's attention, and that is Stimulus Reflex. And before we kind of dive into maybe talking about that a little bit, do you mind giving, for those who don't know, an overview of what that is and maybe where that came from? Uh, sure. So maybe maybe to back up just a little bit in terms of um, when I initially discovered JavaScript, this was uh, pre-jQuery days. There were you know, business applications that were doing some pretty cool, sophisticated things. Like the XML HTTP request object was introduced by Microsoft for the Internet Explorer browser. And so anybody doing interesting stuff in the browser back in those days typically was targeting IE 5.5. 5. 
And I got hired on at a company. So my career was, I, I found development through design and, uh, you know, transitioned from, you know, the guy that was creating branding and logos and uh, business cards and things like that into HTML. And from there, I got into JavaScript when it was really just used for rollovers and blinking text and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but got a little more serious about it. I got hired on at a company that had built essentially Microsoft um, Outlook inside the browser. And this was targeting IE 5.5. And I, I had already built, I'd been working for a company and we had built bond, real-time bond trading systems um, using, uh, the, the also targeted IE 5.5. That's back in the day when the HTTP spec limited concurrent connections out to a single server from the browser to two. And so we did all sorts of interesting things. Obviously web sockets weren't a thing back then. So we even uh, created and built our own comment server, which is essentially just a long polling server and defined our own protocol to pass messages back and forth and render stuff that way. Um, it got so sophisticated that there were enough uh, DOM updates that happened that we had to move away from HTML tables back then and just do it all with divs and fancy CSS. And again, this is all pre jQuery days. And so I knew from that experience that you could build really sophisticated, cool things with JavaScript. And I got pulled into this other company with, tasked with helping them port or, or get their app functional. Essentially, it was Microsoft Outlook that connected to an Exchange server on the back end, um, running in a browser targeted at IE 5.5. They wanted it to run in this new browser that was gaining some market share called Firefox. The caveat was it, I could not touch the code because it had already been QA'd. And uh, so that, that proved pretty challenging. That's when I discovered monkey patching, the joys of monkey patching. And essentially what that required us to do was rebuild a third or more of IE's DOM API. Because back in those days, and this was all done in JavaScript, back in those days that's when IE had this uh, uh, ability to do document.all, which would essentially just turn a, return a, an array of all of the DOM elements that you could iterate across or, or use um, which was not a very easy or efficient uh, API to use, or at least to implement. And also, this was a time when uh, Firefox only had, I think, 17 native events, while IE supported 98. And this app that we were working with, trying to get it to function inside of Firefox, was using probably, I don't know, 50 of those events targeted at IE. So it was, it was pretty fun and very interesting work. And the only reason I give you that history is uh, just to kind of let everyone know that my feelings about JavaScript, modern JavaScript, you know, air quote, modern JavaScript, is, is rooted in someone who found dynamic programming through JavaScript. So JavaScript is a language that I'm very, passionate about that I, I love, but I've also, after I found Ruby, um, like everything else kind of lost its luster for me. And that's, uh, that's oh. quite the experience. I like, 
don't think I use, I'm sure I used some old early versions of browsers back then, but like the earliest I really remember actually fiddling with browsers was in high school. I figured out that uh, if you, you could download portable Firefox that like saved everything on your flash drive and I bought it or I found a theme for it that skinned it to look just like Internet Explorer. It just had tabs and that way I could get around the school's like proxy for filtering out like they don't let us look at go to sites with games in the title or whatever and uh, so I was I was like just getting into that back then and that was an early version of Firefox like 1.5 or something like that but um, yeah JavaScript I'm sure has come an enormous way since then like did you have to I mean that the amount of events is interesting that it only supported, you know, such a tiny amount. Did you have to kind of build your own sort of jQuery esque thing at the time or were you? Yeah, no, it was really, yeah, it was very interesting. We, we had built a library up that essentially exposed IE's DOM API to Firefox. So it was kind of jQuery like in the sense that you could write an app targeted at IE five or IE five, five, and it would just work in Firefox. So it, it could have been something similar to jQuery, but we never open sourced it. The company wasn't interested in, in you know, opening up that trade secret at the time. But yeah, we did have to build, it, it was very interesting. Like you think about rebuilding, we, we were able to rebuild the most of IE 5.5's um, uh, event system based on those 17 events that Firefox exposed. But I mean, it had all sorts of interesting things like does the, does the, we had to hook into this event triggers, you know, it's going to be the trigger for this, this derivative event. Do we need to wire in at the, like at a capture and ha handle it before anything else receives it? Do we need to handle it after, you know, any direct wire ups handle it once they are complete? And, or do we wait and let the bubble chain go all the way to the top of the DOM and then handle it there? So, but once we started, once the infrastructure was in place, it was very easy to add new events. Things like mouse enter, mouse leave, those, those didn't exist. So what's, what's kind of life like for you in, I guess, JavaScript between this project and kind of today's JavaScript? Well, I got, that's okay. So, I've worked at a few companies and um, that have adopted uh, tools and patterns like React, like Vue. I've used most, pretty much every major uh, front-end framework stack uh, in Angular, in production, you know, on real apps uh, at several different companies. Angular might be the only one that I haven't done that with. Um, and, you know, over the course of doing that, I've become less and less enamored with that style of development, simply because I tend to align with DHH's uh, philosophy of how do we empower small teams to accomplish this stuff. And, and typically what I've seen with a lot of these full stack front ends is it, it's an investment. Like you can scale that group independently from, from other teams, but you abandon this idea of the full stack developer that kind of has the, the knowledge, you know, from top to bottom through your entire system. And 
I've seen that slow down development cycles. I've seen that introduce significant complexity and add an immense amount of overhead. And so stimulus reflex, I guess, is a reaction to seeing all that. And, and it's an, it aspires to help small teams, like empower small teams, the same as Rails itself. So before you went uh, and built Stimulus Reflex, um, had you tried to do something like this before? Or was it like this kind of combination of tooling finally made it spark the idea? Yeah, I would say the, the tooling has gotten to the point, you know, we've got WebSockets. We've also got um, uh, Elixir and the Phoenix framework, which has introduced this uh, uh, tool within that framework called Live View, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but that really served as the inspiration here. Where if if I can get away, if I can write a reactive application similar to React itself or Vue or something like that, and get that type of user interaction and user experience without having to adopt all of the complexity, that's what I was after. And Live View promised that, right? And so. I did kind of a deeper dive when LiveView was initially introduced. I'm moderately familiar with, with Elixir and Phoenix, and so I was able to dabble and play around with it a little bit. And since um, Rails had introduced Action Cable, I thought we can probably do something like this on the Rails side. And you built this, you built Stimulus Reflex on uh, another package called Cable Ready, right? Yeah, uh, or it's very similar or related. Um, can you explain that one and kind of how they build upon each other? Yeah, yeah. So Cable Ready really was the precursor to all of this in the sense that what I, I had a need on a particular project where I, I had out-of-band work that was happening essentially in a background job that I wanted to update my DOM with. But I didn't want to have all of this complexity uh, tied around that. So that piggybacked on top of, of Action Cable. So it's sitting on the WebSocket, and you can have essentially a sidekick job or an active job running in the background and emit an event essentially to say, hey, I want this to happen on the DOM for this particular user or however the channel's been subscribed, right? Yeah, and I think uh, like a common example of that that people think of is like, you want to see a progress bar that updates when you're importing a huge CSV in the background or, you know, exporting a video or whatever it might be. Having some sort of real-time updates of progress is pretty common. You want a sidekick job doing some work, reporting back to the browser or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, that allows you to kind of make that happen a lot easier without having to build that from scratch and kind of reinvent the wheel, um, which I've done before. And it's, you know, you end up doing something kind of hacky at first and then you realize you built a couple things with flaws in it and then you got to redo it and so on. So it's kind of nice that you have that package there kind of built out. It's been tested a bunch, you know, how to do that well and you can use that like as your foundation for building more complex stuff. Yep, exactly. That's really the the heart of what stimulus reflex is. Stimulus reflex is another layer of abstraction on top of that, which works directly with stimulus. So the idea being that you 
you stimulate something and then there's a reflex, right? There's a stimulus and a reflex. And so you, the, the stimulus is triggering something on the server and then the DOM will change because of that. So at its heart, I guess the elevator pitch for stimulus reflex would be, you know, you, you gain the ability to build essentially a single page app, even though it's technically not a single page app, but you get to build a reactive single page app with all the Rails tooling that you already know and love. It's the HTML first, you know, worldview, the HTML centric worldview, which means you get to use, you know, ERB or Haml or whatever, Slim, uh, for rendering your, your views. You can still do, use and retain all of your Russian doll caching. If you're using Turbolinks, it works with Tur Turbolinks, and it's made to work with Stimulus. And And actually, the I was reading through the source code earlier, and like, there's not a whole lot to it, uh, at least in the stimulus reflex library. There's some of that in cable ready that helps, but for the most part, it's very straightforward in how it works. Um, do you want to I was going to say that's one thing that I do pride. You know, I tried, I try, I like to demonstrate that with Ruby or any programming language, but especially with Ruby, uh, you can accomplish very sophisticated things without making your code overly complex. And so most of my gems and open source libraries tend to be pretty small, even though they may do very powerful things. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to give a walkthrough of kind of um, how an application would work? Like uh, I know you guys worked on the to do MVC example recently. Um, and could you just walk through kind of how, you set up your views and your reflex and, and the process that, uh, you know, a request goes through. Sure. So if, if you're already familiar with stimulus, essentially you would do a traditional rails server rendered app. You would render out your view. Uh, and that could be structured any way you want. That could be partials. It could be all lumped into a single uh, view template or, or however you want that structured. Then you would wire on top of that, your stimulus controller, and when the stimulus controller connects, you call one line down to reflex, stimulus reflex. And you basically say, register this controller with stim as a stimulus reflex controller. And once you've registered, that then exposes essentially one method to your controller, and that method is stimulate. Stimulate is just a way to invoke a method on the server over the socket connection. So on the counterpart on the server side, you would have a, a stimulus reflex Ruby object on the back end with a method that receives any number of arguments that you you know that are appropriate for for your use case, and you essentially use a, a string that looks very similar to wiring up uh, you know like a stimulus event handler or something, and you just pass that string down and say I'm invoking this uh, on the server. The server then unpacks that and, and invokes the method. Once the method has been invoked, the page that the person is viewing, the, the user is viewing, will automatically render, re-render on the server. That will get packed up, that HTML gets packed up, sent back over the wire, and then Morphdom is used, which is a JavaScript library that does a DOM diff and very intelligently and in a very performant way will update only the DOM elements that have changed. So is it looking at the current URL when it refreshes that um, or re-renders that page server side? 
Yes. Yep. It, it just essentially, if you, if you invoke a stimulus reflex method on the server, essentially the page that is being viewed will be re-rendered. Okay. Um, and then, so I, I spent a little time fiddling with that this morning and built like a simple counter, but you could create, basically just created a scaffold for counters and each one starts at zero and then you can navigate to, you know, whatever one and then click a link that would go and, and increment it in the reflex and then re-render, which worked out really, really well. Um, but it got me thinking like, it's kind of like you're building controller actions in your reflexes. Um, when you build more complicated stuff, are you like going to be almost building like some duplication or similar things to your controller actions, like at least in your, your show views and stuff? I was curious what your thoughts were on that because um, I haven't had the chance to go build something more complex with it just yet. Yeah, it's, that's actually a great question. And that's partly why Stimulus Reflex as a, as a library was born, was because I was trying to demonstrate um, this type of functionality to you know, some peers on top of the cable-ready library, which is the underlying technology. Um, and what I found when I did that is there was a lot of duplication of effort. Like, what, what do I name... You know, are there CRUD operations that I have as counterparts inside of my, you know, the, the server, uh, the server side piece of that. And so Reflex was born to kind of take some of those questions away. All you have to think of it really as, is as an RPC uh, method. So you could say, essentially, like if you're, if you're building a chat app, you would, you would basically say, I'm going to pass down uh, the user that said the thing and the message that they've posted. It's not really in terms of CRUD, like what you choose to do with that on the, on the back end is up to you. But essentially you just post that down to your, your reflex method. The reflex method does whatever it needs to do. If it happens to change the state of the current page, such as insert a, you know, the new message into the, the stream of the chat, then that would automatically happen. But you would manage all of that you would manage all of that rendering inside of your ERB templates, just as if it were a server rendered app. Yeah, that's a good point. Like you wouldn't even like your code for creating the message would just create the message in your reflex. And then you don't have to change anything around the views. You don't have to tell it to refresh or anything. It's just kind of done for you because triggering the reflex is going to trigger that re-render automatically. Yeah, and the first time you see it work, it's it's kind of magical. You're like, wait, how how did that just happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, so in there, you have to set the same instance variables that the view is expecting from the main um, controller, or do you not have to worry about that because you're just re reloading the view? It's it's a little more than just reloading the view. Essentially, what we do is we instantiate. A, uh, an instance of the controller that rendered the page that was viewed. And then we invoke the action. And so that action will do all of its normal setup. So you could actually think of it as, as like a standard Rails request response cycle. So as soon as the RPC call is made down to stimulus reflex, stimulus reflex is, can set any instance variable that it wants. 
which is also then made available to your view templates. But then a, an instance of the actual Rails controller is instantiated and the action is invoked. So you don't have to set up, you don't have to do any of the setup inside of the reflex. You just write your Rails controller as you normally would. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of, I mean, they're effectively totally independent, like nothing, you don't have to worry about sharing any variables between them or anything. You just make your adjustments to whatever data you want uh, in your database and then voila, it just uh, treats it like another uh, get request that came into Rails, even though it doesn't have to do that uh, exactly. That's pretty cool. I like it. It's a very clean way of handling it and you don't have to worry too much. So you mentioned like the example of a chat app, like you would post a message, I guess, to a reflex and it would be responsible for creating that message. Is that correct? Yeah. So essentially, yeah. So if you think about your rails controller in that, in that instance, it would essentially say, go fetch all the chat messages, you know, for this context or whatever. And then you would, uh, maybe store that in an instance variable that's a list of all the messages, maybe ordered properly, and then you just hand that to the view, and the view would just do, you know, iterate across that or render a partial with a collection, right? So essentially what would happen with the reflex is you would pass that the, the information to create that particular message into the reflex. The reflex would just modify the database, insert the data, and everything else just happens okay. for you. So it, would it re-pull those messages? Yep, because we're instantiating that controller and then invoking the action again. Cool. And so if you were maybe not like actually pushing a message out, but just listening, does Stimulus Reflex have a way to like listen for that or is it, should it just use like the basic action cable setup for that? Yeah, Reflex really doesn't listen for, for events that are triggered from the server. It's really intended to be initiated from the client and then the DOM, you know, the page will just update with any state changes. In essence, it's really not that different from the whole workflow of React, right? The state changed on the server. We're just moving where the responsibility for that is. We're just putting it back to the server so that we can use all of the tools that feel so good that, w that we prefer to use, like that we can retain the simplicity there, right? It's all server-rendered stuff. It's all just vanilla Rails. Leave all of that complexity there and use the tools that, that you know, make things more efficient for you as a team or a developer. Yeah, does that get a little, like your chat example, does that get a little trickier um, with, you know, being, a, you might want to scroll up and see older chat history or something um, because of the DOM diffing. If you render that view with like the new data, uh, will like and you limit it to like the last fifty messages or something, it'll start kind of auto scrolling down for you as you insert a new message. Um, it may not be. I, yeah. I was curious how you might handle a situation like that. So again, the like if you wanted to limit the amount of of uh, messages that were visible, you would just do that inside of your controller where you use your active record query to limit to the last, you know, 100 messages or something like that. And the DOM diff would, would find the, one, the elements that need to be removed and it would find the new elements that need to be inserted and that would just kind of happen automatically for you. And because it is a DOM diff and we're not doing a full repaint, 
like the jitter, the jitterness or like auto scroll, that kind of stuff that you might be worried about just doesn't happen. I haven't seen it as an issue. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Cause I, well, I made the mistake earlier of um, when I was playing with it and building a little counter, I would click the link to um, increment, but then I had, what was it? I, I forgot to prevent default on the event. So what would happen is like, you know, it would refresh the page, see the cached version from TurboLinks or something. And then it would look like the number jumped to two or three different numbers before it like uh, displayed the correct version. And so it was really strange looking. But then when I fixed that, it was like, wow, this looks like what I maybe normally would have done in the past, which is make it a remote true, like a, you know, new action in my controller to increment the counter. And I would have a remote is true link. And then I would have the js.erb response that would go and update that, um, you know, piece of the page. I don't have to worry about any of those things. Instead of doing the controller action, I now make a reflex out of it. I don't have to worry about any of the rendering part, which was always kind of the trickiest part about doing an Ajax request in the past. You had to make sure you had your IDs and your selectors right and that you especially didn't have like any typos in your JSERB response because if you did, it just kind of silently failed and was sometimes hard to track down. Um, this like makes it almost magical easy because you're like, I don't have to worry about any of the view stuff at all, which is really, really neat. I, I had a lot of fun with that. So um, it seems like a really nice way of adding that interactivity without having to do all that extra work to pull that off. I'm glad, I'm glad that your experience with it so far has been good. The you know, one thing I would say is that this is just another tool in the toolbox, right? So I would encourage people to try because Rails UJS and Turbolinks together with Stimulus are incredibly powerful by themselves. I would say start there. And if you can't get the functionality or the fidelity that you want for your users using that approach, then Stimulus Reflex might be the next tool to reach for. Right. And and if you find that it, you know, you're just not getting the, you know, the repaint or the refresh speed that you need, then maybe that's time to look for a tool like Vue or React or something. Yeah, it makes sense. Because um, you will have, you know, for a complicated page, re-rendering the view might be a tad bit slower because you're redoing everything. Whereas you know, an Ajax request can update a very specific piece of the page, which might render a whole lot faster or well, doing it client side or whatever. There is, uh, so I've got two proposed, so I've got some contributors now that are, that are feeding ideas back into stimulus reflex, which are, are pretty fun. And two of the most promising ones that I've seen so far, which will probably get merged in in some form or another. But one of them to kind of address that point uh, introduced by Felipe Kaufman uh, is essentially an action view component integration, which would allow for partial page updates, which would be really cool. So if you've, if you, you know, once action view component lands in Rails 6.1, 
let's say you take that rendering approach with your app, then stimulus reflex could tie into that and the reflex could trigger just an update for that one component. That's super cool. Um, do you want to give a quick intro to action view component? Cause I don't think I've seen it, but I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast before. And I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of it. Yeah, frankly, I'm, I've been waiting um, for it to land in Rails 6.1 before I do too much. Uh, I know GitHub uses it in production. And essentially, it's a way to think of your Rails, let me give the, the high-level overview of what I think that it is. Uh, it's essentially it's the Rails way of rendering your partials or view uh, as view components. So if you've done any serious work with Vue or with, with React, you think kind of in terms of widgets, like I've got this component that is like my text box and this is my drop-down button and this, you know, those types of things. It enables that type of thinking around your Rails application. It yields some performance benefits. It yields uh, testability and some things like that that I know larger teams will really benefit from. Not sure it would be, you know, ideal for if you're like a one, one or three person shop, but, but perhaps, I don't know. And, and especially, you know, the, I'm very excited about when that lands, the possibilities it might open up for stimulus reflex and solutions like stimulus reflex for partial page updates. Cause essentially that's what you're getting with Phoenix, right? With Phoenix live view, you're getting partial page updates. And if there's a smaller payload, like if you're doing smaller rendering bits on the server, when you invoke one of those RPC calls, if you're not having to do as much work on the server, not send as much data over the wire, then, then we may approach, you know, very, very high levels of, of rendering speed. Yeah, that would be awesome. I, we've dropped uh, the new component, like pull request or whatever it was in our dev channel at work. And we were all like really into it. And I thought about trying to use it on my side projects, but I was, Kind of like, uh, I know that I'll like run into like one tiny issue and then I'll be on it for like a week. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, so after I found Simulus Reflex, I started to stalk you on GitHub a little bit. Um, and I noticed some kind of cool active record gyms you have. One was like running certain active record um, executions like in a background. And then one was like active record add-ons do you mind kind of maybe just walking through a couple of those and maybe what they do and where that kind of problem came from? Sure. So the, the, I think the first one you're talking about is called BG. It's just, uh, which obviously means background. And uh, I've been on enough projects that have had the need to, to build enough background work uh, or background workers, background jobs, to process things outside of the typical, you know, request response cycle. And I just wanted a convenient way to do that without having to go through the formality of set up, setting up a formal active job. It's, it's both wonderful and can be kind of an Achilles heel to itself because it makes backgrounding work so easy. Well, you, you can actually fall into the trap of backgrounding too much. Um, but if you, if you, you know, if you're running, um, Redis and Sidekick or a solution similar to that, you can essentially pull in the BG gem 
and any active record method essentially that does not accept the block yielded to it can be invoked in the background. You just call, if, you, if it was like user uh, update, right? Uh, you could just do user.defer update or user.async update. So defer will put it into the background queue. And if you do async, it will run it on a separate thread. Do you have some examples, I guess, of like some of the things you might kind of want to push back, like maybe defer or run asynchronous? I get you know, this ties also into how you feel about architecting your Rails applications. If it, are you a fat model person, or do you build like separate business domain objects, that sort of thing? So if you're a fat model person, this works really well because you may have um, you know concerns or just methods hanging off of your model to do you know, heavy lifting, if, let's say the user uh, object needs to call out to an API to enrich its own data, or uh, you're gonna send, you know, an email or, or anything like that. You can, you can do all of that. Of course, active mailer already exists, so email's probably not a great example for that, but let's say you, you needed to call out to three APIs that are all independent of each other to enrich user data. And, you wouldn't necessarily have to set up an, a formal active job you know, object to do that. You could just build it inside the model, uh, inside of a concern, and then just call bg.user.defer, um, whatever the method is. One, one other bit that's kind of cool on um, stimulus reflex is, and this will probably land as well, I've got another contributor, uh, Pete Ford, who, is really interested in, in making it declarative in a very stimulus style uh, approach. So the work that he is doing, and we'll, we'll probably get merged in fairly soon, is it, it essentially has the promise or holds the promise that you could build a stimulus reflex app similar to what we've been talking about without the need to write a single line of JavaScript. That'd be cool. That's interesting. So how would that work? So essentially it would be data attributes similar to how uh, stimulus uses data controller and data action and things like that. There would be essentially a data reflex and like maybe data reflex arguments or data reflex arg one or two, those sorts of things that you could pass down and you would just wire into whatever DOM event you wanted to trigger that behavior on the server. Okay. So it's almost like internally you're building a, a stimulus controller more or less that that just yep. is already wired up and you don't have to worry about it that's pretty nifty and that would make it for the most part you know you probably don't need to define define the controller at all as long as your um arguments are something that could be i mean you can update your data attributes too on the fly if you wanted to do that i guess which is interesting too um yeah, there's a lot of cool potential for that, I think. And and then simplifying it so that literally the only thing you have to implement is the reflex on the back end. Uh, that sounds pretty awesome. Huh. Yeah, the, we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. I haven't used that in production or in anger yet. Um, but that, I really want to do that before, before we merge that type of a feature in. Um, but I'm very excited about the, the prospect of what that could offer. Right, it, it ties in with this, uh, you know, this notion or this theme that DHH has talked about, which is conceptual compression. 
right? We start with, and, and stimulus reflex is kind of that already, right? I've got, it's sitting on top of things like stimulus and sitting on top of, of action cable. But then we've got cable ready, which allows us to emit the events. And then stimulus is an abstraction, further abstraction on top of that. And then this piece that we just described would be yet another abstraction on top of that. But we're, we're compressing the conceptual, you know, uh, load or the cognitive load required to understand what you're doing and making it much friendlier to beginners that want to build this type of an application. Yeah, that makes sense. You're, you're like, you know, when you need to do complicated things, give us the option to, you know, use it here and wherever we need to, but out of the box, you know, the simplest option is often where you want to start, especially when you're using something like this for the first time, it reduces the amount of stuff you have to worry about significantly. Nate, we really appreciate you joining us today. Um, I hope that everyone listening will put down what they're doing and run to try this out. Um, I think it's, (laughs) I think it's really cool. And I remember when I saw live view come out in Phoenix, I was like, Oh, that's really cool. And I didn't even think about something like that existing. I was just like, Oh, we'll never get that. So thank you for working on that. And I'm excited to use it more. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. It's interesting because Chris McCord was, you know, he, he wanted to build this in rails back in the day, which is, and, and it just didn't seem possible or feasible at the time. Um, but now the tools have evolved to the point where we can we can have it too. Do you want to share any links um, to where people can find you online? Uh, sure. Um, I'm Hopsoft pretty much everywhere. You can find me as Hopsoft on GitHub and on Twitter. That's probably the best best places to find me. Cool, and we'll we'll include those links in the notes below. Um, but yeah, that's it for us. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. I can't wait to, I want to also use stimulus reflex and anger. I, I like that saying. That's great. So yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that out on a, actually a production app or something soon. So um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to have you back when, when we've had some experience with it and tried it in production and you know, built something more complex with it. I think it'll be pretty interesting to see how it goes. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. We will talk to you guys uh, next time.